2: Hey, you're listening to 101 Part-Time
0: Jobs Podcast. I've got Josh Franceschi from Yumi at Six with us today. He's going to tell us all about the ups and downs he's had in his career, how they made their new record in Thailand, why they did that. He talks about the realities of his job, but at the same time, trying to stay hopeful. He's a really nice guy. I got the impression he's in a really good place right now. And it's really nice to hear someone in kind of a messed up industry see things with so much hope so it was an absolute pleasure to speak to josh and their new record sucker punch comes out 15th of january if you like this podcast please share it around the more numbers we get listening to the show the more guests we can get and i'm saying that every episode now i'm sorry it's slightly annoying but fuck it why not let's go for it thank you to our friends at east london signature brew They've been brewing beers for bands like Mastodon, Idols, Slaves, Sports Team recently as well, and The Darkness. Bell's End is the new beer brewed this Christmas. If you go onto to their website, signaturebrew.co.uk, you can get 10% off deliveries straight to your house with the voucher code 101 podcast. All right, here's Josh Franceschi. Josh from Yumi at Six. You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bidder. Go well. Cheers. How much does your life change when you announce a record? You've just announced Sucker Punch, you know, at the end of September. How much does your life change or does it not at all?
1: It cha- I changes, I guess, in terms of it shifts the focus um, and sort of both the sort of short-term and long-term plans that we start putting together. Um, but this is definitely a unique situation. I mean, most of the time I'd be... Right now, I'd be in a position where we're, you know, doing loads and loads of photo shoots and face-to-face interviews and maybe getting on the Eurostar or plane to go out and do radio stuff in Europe and stuff like that. Um, So there's definitely... um, That's different. I'm doing all that stuff, obviously, remotely. Um, And I guess also in the spirit of things, like you'd be spending more face time with your team, you know, whether it be your label, your publicist, your management, um, and obviously, of course, the dudes in the band. So, but other than that, you know, it's kind of the same thing, but just different.
0: Right. And have you, I mean, you know, it's been 12 12 years since you've been basically grafting. I mean, have you, did it get to a certain point where you'd really stepped into your rhythm over that time?
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, predominantly like the the other thing is that we finished making Sucker Punch last November. So we've kind of been sitting on our hands since then as well. I'm so used to touring, coming off the road, having, you know, two or three months, putting some stuff together, then getting in a studio recording. And then before we know it, it's either festival season or we drive, dive straight back into another set of international touring or whatever. So it's been strange to think that the last gig we played was in September 2019, mm-hmm. um, and you know that in theory the next one we play should be in May 2021. But whether or not that you know comes to fruition or not is still very much got a lot of question marks around it. Um, so I guess in terms of rhythm, yeah, that there has been historically more of that, and it's been more sort of relentless. So I guess in a way a positive that we've been able to take from this time is that it's been used to um, fundamentally take stock of where we're at and how we feel about both, both individually and collectively within our group. Um, and on a personal level, it's given me a chance to sort of like recharge a little bit because sometimes when you make a record um, more often than not, I found that it, it really like exhausts me like mentally as, as much as it does physically, but more, Sort of, especially being like the, I guess, the, the the singer and the the lyricist and the person that's kind of putting a message on top of the the great music that we all put together. Um, you know, when you're sort of like shedding your skin in that environment, it can be kind of can be kind of uh, exhausting. You know, when you're doing it yeah. for six weeks or whatever in a studio. So, um, so yeah, it's been good to sort of recover in that sense from that and not have to dive straight into. Getting on a plane to Southeast Asia or Australia or America and, and be touring. So um, yeah,
0: it must have been such a, a new thing the last you know over the last couple of months. Announcing Sucker Punch and speaking of you know doing trying new things, it caught my eye that you recorded this record in Thailand. I mean that that's that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah,
1: I think like we look we explored a lot of other option a lot of uh, other options for the sort of the recording of this record and like. I think we needed, there's quite a few of us in the band that really needed to get out of England, to be honest. I think we were sort of, we were looking for like a music, a musical rehab, if that makes sense. And like, yeah, you know, we wanted to really unplug and check out from the world. Um, and so Thailand offered that escape. And we sort of, you know, we found within Karma Sound's um we found like a a utopia of sorts you know in which we really just had an opportunity to um yeah to sort of just throw ourselves into something that was completely alien to us I mean we've never even been to that part of the world as a band to play live music so to go and make a record in um you know pretty much in a small fishing village in in, in Thailand was uh, you know a, a pretty A pretty crazy thing but um but also very pure if that if that makes much sense uh in terms of the surroundings the people that we were surrounded by um and it really just made the record just a really focused and considered process versus having the distractions of you know getting back in a car and going back home for the weekend or going out to bars with friends and you know when when we've made records in los angeles or in, in nashville before or even you know reading and stuff like that we've been in situations where um you know we've had distractions and to not have that just really offered something new um and i guess fundamentally like we do use this band as a bit of a vehicle to to try new things and experience new things and um yeah, Thailand was just something that we never thought we'd do, especially on our seventh record. So it was like, this is, this isn't, this may not come around again as a, as a really viable option. So let's do it, you know,
0: for real. And it just makes me think that, you know, we all know going on holiday, you put yourself in a different culture. You can never underestimate that kind of good feeling or, you know, those kind of um, those inspirations you draw out from being in a particular place, especially, I mean, you know, it's a, complete cliche to say but you know grey britain or whatever i mean the record is such a i mean it's got a real party sound to it yeah i think like i mean that kind of stems
1: from um you know the different uh the different sort of spaces that we all come from musically i mean especially over the last sort of four or five years you know um i think if you were to ask dan our drummer what his Favorite rock recorders of 2020. I, I don't think he'd have an answer for you, just purely because he just doesn't in exist in that space. Like he listens to yeah. dance music, you know, and 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 has been making dance music for the last sort of four four years or so. Um, and I'm very much in a you know, my favorite artists are, are people like Frank Ocean and and J Cole, and uh, you know, it. And I listened more predominantly to R and B and hip hop, so it's kind of um, it's a clash of those cultures and those genres on this record. And I think again, you know, going back to why we made the decision of going to Thailand, it was like, you know, we're going to make a record here in in the tail end of October and November. Like we, we know what the weather is going to be like in England. We know what that's going to feel like, you know, really short days, predominantly cold, gray, miserable. And um, so again, it was a pretty, pretty easy choice when it came down to it um, of going to, you know, essentially uh, paradise or a slice of paradise. So um, yeah, the, the, the vibes are good when we were making the record um, and it was pretty, there was a lot of work, but it was like effortless. Like, you know, when you really love what you're doing, it doesn't sit, feel like you're stressed by it or, you know, um, that there's a, a negative spin on it when you're really sort of inside something and it feels good like home that it doesn't really matter what it is as long as you feel that way about it so and we've made records in the past where you know we just haven't been in that place man it's we've been surrounded by stress and anxiety and sort of the fear and I one of the main taglines that I've been saying about this record is, is it's a record with no fear whatsoever attached to it you know we we really don't feel any pressure to have put together something that wasn't 100% what we wanted to make. And um, and we trusted the fact that we were, we were rolling the dice on, you know, the majority of this record sonically and the songs we were making, we know that we have an appreciation and understanding for the fact that it's not necessarily, you know, what people have heard us do before. But it's, I think people appreciate a real version of yourselves, you know, and whether it's different or not, they just want something that's completely unfiltered and that's what this record is.
0: I think you know you talk about those times in and everyone has it in life no matter what you know you're doing for, as as a hobby or as a job whatever you're going to go through some difficult times you know some um, some dense times and I think listeners of this podcast appreciate the facts that you know when I when I speak to bands I can ask them about those hard times you know cuz at the end of the day it's always going to happen. I mean unfortunately as a, in a job such as yours it's part of the role to, I mean, you can make it part of your role, I guess you can opt out of it, but putting on a brave face, you know, and being like, yeah, we're, you know, traveling the world, having the best time. But I mean, that's not the reality, is it?
1: No, look, I mean, first and foremost, I would say that that being a a touring musician and and like a recording artist, like, you you go, every time you go into a new phase, you're going into, like, uncharted waters, you know, like, you don't really know what's going to happen and you don't know that when when things are going good, you've just got to go, you've got to run and you've just got to keep going and going and going and that's why sometimes you get artists being like, I've been touring for two and a half years non-stop, you know, because when it's good, it's good and you don't want to, it's not, you don't always, uh, you're, not always in the, you're not always in the sun, you know, so you've got a kind of... um when you're there, you've you've got to make the most of it. And when you're having your moment, you've got to make the most of it. And but there are some grim realities to touring. You know, I think there's a um, a preconceived notion about what that looks like, uh, and that it's all quite glamorous. And um, you know, we're living the high life, but that's not really the truth of it. Um, I'm sure if you're Ed Sheeran or um, you know, I don't know. Ariana Grande, maybe that, that is, it's five-star hotels and PJs and that's and that's great, good for them. But like, you know, festival season for us looks a lot like uh, getting the Padding Express at 5.30 in the morning to go to, you know, Terminal 5 to go and play a festival in Poland in which, you know, you, when you land there, you're driving three and a half hours out to the site because it's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you sit around, you do your gig and then it's driving back to a hotel, which is near the airport to check in for maybe a flight or two flights the next day to go and do a festival in Germany or the Ukraine or Russia and it's not like we're not on holiday, you know? So like yes, there's those rare, precious moments in which you get to explore and really enjoy like the local cultures and really throw yourself and submerge yourself into that. But, you know, a lot of the time, especially when you're doing festivals and stuff, it's it's a bit more like that. And and then additionally, like, you know, we kind of we wait there's a lot of waiting for for that that one hour or an hour and a half of just where it's everything comes together where it's all about being on stage it's all about the show it's all about that connection between you and the audience um and it's like the biggest dopamine rush but then you spend the next 23 hours waiting for the next one you know um and of course there's days where you're on tour and you feel great and everything's great. And, you know, the show is a massive success and you go out afterwards, you have some drinks and, you know, you're bonding with the other artists you're on tour with, you're bonding with your crew. Um, and, you know, and you're meeting some amazing people all over the world. And then there's some days when you wake up and you, you look at your press list and there's 10 interviews and you're in the shittest mood. Also, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, sorry, but you're in the, uh, yeah. you're, you're in the, you're in a foul mood and maybe you've got stuff going on at home. Maybe you're feeling under the weather, but, and you've got to go in and you've got to, essentially, because you are selling at all times when people are asking you questions and wanting to know more about you or more about the record or whatever. And that does come with a pressure because it's like, well, what if today I don't feel like doing that? But you're only in, say, Berlin for that one day doing a show and you've got to do it because it's part of your your thing. So I try not to, um, but I definitely try not to look at anything that we do with a like a woe is me sort of attitude because it is an extraordinary thing we're doing, but we are just ordinary people still figuring it all out, trying to do it, trying to make sense of it, trying to understand, you know, what it what how much we should allow ourselves to give away from ourselves and also what we should retain for ourselves. Because, you know, it is um of course there's an element of it being quite a self-serving, um like model like you know you're putting out your art you're touring your songs it's you're building relationships relationships with your fans etc etc but then there is also a point where you're like well how much more can I give of myself today Mm -hmm. after doing a gig and there's hundreds of people outside the venue and they want more they want more of you they want more pictures more autographs and but they also want more of you just as a person I think that I think it's important to have a healthy relationship with that. and, and but it's also important to remember that, you know, we had, for example, we had a situation on uh, our last European touring cycle where it was a great tour. We're having some amazing shows, you know, and, uh, and then we got to playing our first ever gig in Slovakia and um, we were booked in like a thousand cap venue. And I think the pre-sale was like 47 tickets. And so we're all sitting there on a Sunday night snowing. We're in the middle of absolutely nowhere in Slovakia. And we're like, we like why why would I go to work today you know in that sense like you start going going inwards and start feeling like oh why has this happened you know wh- how are we supposed to go out and do x y and z and then at some point one of you wakes up during those conversations and goes guys this might be the only time we ever play Slovakia and there might be people here that have been waiting to see us for years and years and years or we're their favorite band and we owe it to them to go and give them the same energy on stage and the same level of performance and professionalism as if we were playing the O2 Arena. Like that's the fact. That's that's the deal you sign up for. So um and then you know you kick into gear and you go, right okay, sweet, let's go make the most of it. And ironically I came off stage after that gig going, that's probably my favourite gig of the tour because it was like it was an opportunity to to not to play with that with the shackles off a little bit, you know, like play with a bit more freedom being like there isn't a big stage, a big light production, and you know, thousands and thousands of people here. There's a smaller number of, you know, I think in the end it ended up being like hundred and fifty or whatever rocked up. And we, we just make we decided to make sure that it was fun and that and that we were in the spirit of like, we're playing a punk rock show. We've done that before, we've done that for the first two, three years of our career. You know, so why should tonight be feel like a step backwards? It's not. we we're, we're starting the process that we started in England tonight in Slovakia and who knows yeah. maybe in five years time we'll be coming back and there'll be a thousand people there two thousand people there but we've got to earn it and so you go back to that that sort of uh, that ethos of you know DIY and 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 that's how you you know that's I think that's when you also know if you're a real band or not like if you can play with all the if you can play the same with the same spirit in the in, uh, at a floor show as you can in an arena then you know that you're kind of you're made of bigger stuff so um yeah
0: that's so good to hear man and it, it makes me think that you know especially with all these amazon documentaries about football clubs and those journeys I mean you're a big arsenal fan aren't you you're a gooner
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
0: So, so do you look do you look at that for uh for inspiration and you know when I when I with that in mind I've I'm thinking of you know press conferences you see the manager and coaches giving or you know personal player performances I mean you know, football is a game that's pretty heartbreaking sometimes. And I imagine there's some parallels there.
1: Yeah, there's there's that um, there's that kind of feeling I get. Like I've, I know a few athletes, um, whether they're at Arsenal, I've, I'm very good friends with a guy called Matt Banahan, who's played for Bath Rugby for the majority of his career in, in England. And he's now, I think, at Gloucester. And, when, and whenever we hang out and he comes to a show or I go to a game and we, and we talk about the sort of similarities, it's like, there is that thing of we want to be them and they want to be us. You know, like I'd love nothing yeah. more than to, to walk out the Emirates stage and, and uh, you know, play 90 minutes in an Arsenal shirt. And I know that there's some of those, like I've become very good friends with Thomas R- Riziski, who was at Arsenal for a long time. And, you know, when he came out and um, he came with us to a festival we did in um, the Czech Republic a few summers ago. Great. And uh, it was during the World Cup and, and he was just like... Um, Oh man, I I I I can't wait to like watch this from the side of the stage and like feel that energy and blah, and then and then later that night, um, he told me he was like he, that he's a massive Slipknot fan, and uh, <laughs> um, Corey Taylor was there with his other band Stone Sour, so I was like, and I know Corey through mutual friends over the years, so I just sort of went and spoke to so him like, look, if you could come over and you know come take a picture of my friend Thomas, I know it'd, it'd be like <laughs> the best thing. And uh and yeah, like we we we, you know, we hang up for a bit with him and then Thomas was like, Right, that's it. He started he started doing the rounds, calling all because uh, he he was the captain of the Czech Republic for a long time. So he he um he called yeah. up loads of loads of people and was like, Right, we're take we're gonna show the Umeet Six lads how we do it now in the Czech Republic. Now I'm retired, I can sort of go out and have some drinks and stuff. And it got to the point where we were like pretty hazy at one point, I think it was like two in the morning, and we just started like whatsapping loads of Arsenal players. And, um, I think we, I think England England were about to play Columbia. So I was like, so we sent David Espina, a video of all of us being like, we're going to beat you, that sort of stuff. I don't (laughs) think, I don't think he was happy with it, to be honest. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, there's, um, there's definitely, there's definitely that thing. And I I think that's why I think, uh, musicians and, and athletes, they do understand each other in that sense that there's, you know the pressures that can come of those big games or those big gigs and then also you know the heartbreak of say like not getting the contract that you want at the club or being left out on the sidelines or being on the bench and then you know being that band on who on a major label who's had success and then suddenly is getting frozen out you know like it's there is that that thing of that's the industry side of music which is is really challenging. And I think um, that's when you need to be able to lean on one another within our group. And, and I think, yeah, there's, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of heartache that comes with, with music and being in music and a lot of disappointment. But I think, again, we know what we signed up for. We didn't know exactly to the extent or the magnitude of some of that stuff, but I knew pretty early on when I was like 18 um and we signed to EMI or not sorry maybe I was 19 we signed to EMI and and Virgin I knew then that like when you're sitting in a room having contracts put in front of you where it's you know hundreds of thousands of pounds on the table and you're signing these contracts like it's it's gone very quickly from it's all a bit of a laugh booking shows through MySpace to now signing multi-million pound record deals and and being you know people investing a lot of money in you making and you've got to deliver and you've got to go out and work and it's not you can't turn around and go oh I don't like what you are well you can turn around and go, I don't like what you're doing here but you know we had a situation at one of our labels where we just come out of the the first week of sales and we had a midweek number one all week we ended up being number three and and the head of the record label was like you know, I mean for us we like this is the biggest thing we've ever had at this point. We you know we couldn't believe that we'd had a number three record, and we were up against like Adele and James Morrison and art yeah. we are selling a lot of records that week, and we stood up and we were counted, you know, and we were part of that and um they turn around like you know our oh, you know we're gonna we' we're, we're gonna need you guys to get back in the studio and, and pop out some um some new music because right now we're finding it really hard to know how to sell you when we could sell this singer songwriter who's just had a number one single with this rapper and it's like it's difficult because that you know you're on your own journey right you're you're but to them I say them because they are on the other side every now and then you meet people that you're like now nah, you're my people you're part of our tribe but for the most part they're work colleagues you know um and there is obviously a human element where you like each other and that but like you know, at the crux of it, you are an investment and you're either a good investment or a bad investment. And they're not really too keen on sticking around for times when it's difficult. And if something's easier to sell and for them to get their return quicker, then uh, they're going to do that. And I think that's why guitar bands, you know, we talk a lot about the growth and development of guitar bands uh, in the music industry. And you know, how often now do you get a band that is found at a young age and the record label commit to them for five albums, you know, three, five albums where they're saying, we know we're not going to make millions of pounds off you off the first record. Even, like, the bands that have come through, like, if you look at the last five years, you look at, like, bands like Blossoms, Catfish on the Bottom, and, okay, 1975 have, have, have done it pretty much predominantly through their own stuff, but Royal Bloods, you know, the Foles, um, Foles went from being, like, a sort of, the sweethearts of like the indie scene to now headlining Reading Festival and playing the Pyramid Stage, you know, and, and having them on records. It wasn't always like that for Foles. And it wasn't always like that for Royal Blood or or Catfish on the Bottom and or whatever. And it's like, but now there's just this, what feels to me like a constant pressure. People aren't going to come record companies and staying there for 10 years. You know, they're going there. And really, if they're not producing something that, the the head honchos want to see within 24 months they're gone and they're finding a new job because that's it it's like you know why right now you even look at the top um top 50 songs on spotify i think you did you do very very well to find some guitar music in
0: there or that comes from those roots you know um i think there's this narrative in in rock music that you know you were gonna maybe you do an ep and then a first album And then, you know, that would be the quote unquote hard work. And then someone else would swoop in and make your career. But it just doesn't seem to be the way anymore. I mean, I don't know why I think of Billie Eilish, but I I think of Billie Eilish in the way that she just made a a fucking amazing record. She Mm. put the work into making that record. And I guess my question is, do you think there's more of an element in in guitar bands uh, or or kind of alternative music where, you've got to take it into your own hands
1: i think there's depth, there's like a, a bit of an attitude issue in um in in that sense i think look b Irish in in, in her own right is like a generational talent you know like mm. that that comes around you know very very rarely especially with the age that she's at and what the the quality of her craft and the risk taking that she does in that craft but she's obviously got some people on board with her that are, that trust her, you know, completely, um, and give allow her that freedom. I do. I do think that. Look, I've been. I've been now. January. Well, the year of twenty twenty one will be. our will be fifteen years since we started the band. You know, when we we're at school, and I've seen a lot of my mates come through, and we've toured with them, or we've just been in the same scene. And I've seen them come, and I've seen them go, and I recognise the ones that are either still here. And yes, there is also, of course, a huge slice of luck: right place, right time, right people on board. Do, do do the do the public connect with your story, with what you're telling them? Do they smell that it's forced, or do they love the fact that it's so authentic that it? And it's so, you know, like okay, again, I, I've already spoken about it, but you look at Catfish in the Bottom and look how people took to that band. It's like people wanted a band that reminded them of the great indie guitar music from, you know, early 2000s, you know, and, and we'd been screaming out for a band like that for ages. And then they came and it, it was a clean-up job, you know, like it was no stress. But then you go and talk to Van McCann and you understand, I've known him since he was, when I went and saw them at Dingwalls years and years ago, we spent a lot of time talking. Y- you won't You won't meet a harder working dude. Like you just mm. won't. And I look at you know bands like brim and the Rising or Enter Shikari, who we uh, us three bands have been on on the scene since MySpace, yeah, you know, like in two thousand five, two thousand six. Again, like you will probably you'll find you'll find it quite difficult to meet people that have that work ethic and that determination, um, and also have never believed in their own hype. You know, like even now if you speak to to Ollie or Jordan or Pickles from from Bring Me, like they'll turn around to you and be like, yeah, we're just normal lads from Chef who are doing what we want to do and we work hard and that's it, you know? And it's like, I've seen bands where they've been, so my advice to any, you know, up-and-coming musician that potentially is listening to this would be like, you know, don't get bogged down in, in the bad times, but don't believe your hype in the good times, you know? And like, just keep it's easy to say, stay humble, but I mean, like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. really it does come down to it. It comes down to if you, if you, um, if you take your eyes off the prize and it depends what, how you measure your own success, but like don't get carried away in the, the stereotype of being a rock and roller, you know, because that's dead. And that has been dead for a long time. Like have a good time, of course. And like, trust me, we have our own reputation for being, Animals. When it comes to you know drinking and partying and having a good time, but we we in the early days recognized a lot of our peers were doing that, and then I was watching their show the next day, going, "You sucked today. Like yeah. you didn't, you didn't, you sounded bad singing. You guys were sloppy as hell, um and you were playing like you were hungover." And so I remember early on, we were like, "Guys, we can't afford to do that. We can't be that band that like." Because at this moment in time, we're not the best band here. We're not writing the best songs, but our drive and our energy and our live shows and our charisma, both on and off stage, is what is people are are, are relating to and feeling. So we mm. we can't afford to turn up and play badly live. And of course, we have like don't don't get it twisted. Like we sucked for a long time until we got better and better and better to a point where we know when we're going to have enough, when we're having an off day and we know exactly how to pace ourselves throughout that show or, you know, as, as all, as all singers do put the mic out to the crowd, so to speak, like if you're having a bad day, but there's respect with what we're trying to do. And I think that in, in the rock world and, and in sort of, there is that sort of, um, I don't know, maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but I do feel there is that there's an attitude where it's like, well, um, this should have happened already and everything we're getting we deserve and those bands usually don't make it past an album Hmm. Uh, one album or two albums you know and yeah every every time we meet a new band that we're toying with that are younger than us like because I had it I had mentors I had people turn around to me and give me advice which really really stuck for me I I mean I'll tell you one quick story and I'm sorry I I won't keep just burning your ears but
0: no, I love it, mate. When
1: we were when we were younger, we did a tour of a band called Newfound Glory. And uh, of course, yeah, yeah. And uh, growing up for us, like Drive Through Records, you know, fueled by Ram, and it was those record labels that we were listening to, and the, the the bands that were on that we were like idolized. And we got I think five or six shows with Newfound Glory on this tour. And we played a gig in in Portsmouth at Wedgwood Rooms, and and in between every song people were booing, we had bottles been thrown at us, people chanting for newfound glory.
0: Wow!
1: Like, and I, and I was just standing there being like, this is not how I imagined my dream coming to fruition, right?
0: Yeah. But
1: I think I said something on stage, like, yeah, before the last one, I was like, we've got one more left, and um, I know some of you out there are pissed off because we're doing what you want to do, but why don't you get in your... get garages or get in your rooms write some fucking songs and maybe one day you'll be good enough to be on stage and Newfound glory played our last song went off and i didn't know that the majority of newfound glory i think somebody in their crew must have been like yo these guys are, are getting hit hard here when they're playing and we came off and we went onto their bus after the show and had some drinks and had a little chat and i think it was Ian. you know we just turn around to me. he's like you know man like not everyone's gonna like what you do and you can't get you can't let that affect what you're doing, and you know, it's going to be rough, and it's going to be times where you're on stage and you just really want to get out of there because it's a hostile gig. Um, but those are the gigs that are shaping you for when you're ready, you know, for when you're ready to take that next step. And it was all part of our teaching. And when we were touring with Paramore and Fallout Boy, and the times that I've been, you know, around people like Dave Grohl and had conversations with him, um, and you know. It, it, that stuff's priceless. So I think to be able to hand that down, that's the thing I try and remind when I when I, you know I've met quite a few young bands over the last, in particular the last sort of five six years, where I feel like I'm in a place where I can give some sort of advice. Mm. It's like it's mainly about talking about attitude and spirit and like you know remembering the basics. And when you're just because just because you've played your first gig in front of more than like 500 people, don't think you've made it. You know, like you haven't. That's one gig. You know, if you go and do a year and a half of touring and you've played to over five hundred people, a thousand people, then be like, right, what's the next step? Every yeah. time every time we did a headline tour when we were coming through, we were like, No, no, we've got to go bigger, we've got to aim for bigger, 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 bigger. And obviously we were lucky that our fan base reacted and wanted that too for us. But every time we did something great, I remember coming off stage at Wembley Arena when we did our final artist sin show there. And I was like, I'm not going to be satisfied unless our next album is number one. We're in the O2, and we're playing the main stages at Isle of Wight and Reading, big slots. And that's what we and and so we sort of like manifested this thing where we were relentless in like what we were trying to achieve, and we just didn't stop working until we got there. And I think it's almost like not being satisfied. Like you can enjoy the moment and think that's great, but like you just always got to want more because if you don't want it, somebody else will want it and they'll just come take it, you know? Um, so
0: is that something that you're at peace with that idea that you're just always going to want more?
1: Yeah, dude, I've, I've, but not in like a, not in like a negative way, but I've, you know, I've got friends that have headlined, you know, and or, 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 or played stage gyms and they, they're still not satisfied because it's like, and cause when you get to that moment you almost go in autopilot. I mean, I remember when we, when we headlined um, the O2, I was like, I was like, wow, this is sick. And like, we've done this with all time low. What an amazing thing to put together. And they're an incredible band and they've got a massive fan base and we're doing all right. And we've got a, a growing fan base. And we put it together and we're both here. We both couldn't have done it without each other. But I remember like being on stage and all that, that whole tour, all I was thinking about was a, why did I play five aside and break my ankle two weeks before this? And B, <laughs> and B like, I want like, I want this show to be perfect. So um, I'm just thinking about the pyro. I'm thinking about the interludes. I'm thinking about, right, there's that note in that song coming up that I know isn't easy. So I need to pace myself in this one to make sure that when I get to that high note in the chorus, that I've just got enough in the tank. So don't run around during this song and all these different things. And then before you know, it's like, Oh, it's the last song of the night. See you later. And then, you know, then you start thinking about, right, well, how could we ever get from here to, I don't know, Milton Keynes Bowl and like it's all, I like living in that dream world. I like living in that place where I don't care necessarily if it's realistic because we, as you Six, haven't survived on doing things that were easy or realistic. We've always gone for it. And there's been times we've made mistakes and overshot it. And there's been times where, you know, we've had to sit there and you know, swallow a pill that we didn't want to, but that's part of building your character, and building your resolve. And then, here we are now on our seventh record going into it and we've done, we've achieved pretty much everything we wanted to achieve bar the sort of that elite level, that level up of, you know, headlining a Reading or all that sort of stuff. And, but I still wake up every day and I believe it's possible. And I think as long as I have hope in that and belief in that, then that I guess gives me a purpose alongside making, you know, hopefully music that people appreciate and doing it with my best mates and, you know all that sort of stuff you've got to have those wildly over the top aspirations otherwise if you've really done it then you might as well just stop you know so that's kind of the the way we look at it and I just feel very fortunate that we've done what we've done and I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't change any wrong turn we've taken I think everything we've done was always going to go that way one way or the other you know and um yeah, I yeah. I just think that it's the music industry. Like, I, I've 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 come to peace with the fact that it's it's you know not a um it's not an easy place, but there are some amazing people in it. You know, you you have these amazing moments with people where you connect. It might be doing an interview. It might be with the head of your label. It might be with your radio plugger, or you know you know you never know what's going to come and there's going to be times we thought oh I thought that person had my back and they just completely you know stabbed me in the front you know um so yeah but you've just, you. you've just got to accept it for what it is man it is it's it, it, it can be what you make of it and it's all about you know your mental state and yeah as I said just trying to just trying to enjoy enjoy the ride a little bit as well man I spent a lot of my early years when we were having a some some good moments, not really enjoying them because I was just so worried about what was next. You know, whereas now I'm far more like what will be will be and we're going, to, we're going to ride it anyway, you know.
0: Is that, would you say, I mean, of all the, you must have learned so many lessons. I mean, you've basically grown up in the band. I mean, what's the most, you know, what's the most recent big lesson you think you've learned?
1: Uh, self-acceptance, I think, in the sense that it's all right to be wrong, but be accountable and it's all right to been right all along uh, and to not begrudge those that didn't jump on your, on your wavelength, you know, like it's, it's about that we're, we're working essentially in a, in a people driven industry, right. It's all about connecting and like working towards something with one another, and sometimes I'd get when I have I even now I have moments but like for large parts of our career like I've just been frustrated at you know at things not falling into place the way that I envision them and then I start like either being angry at myself or angry at those around me for not making that happen um and I and I think that I've been far too hard on myself over the years in terms of like the pressure that I put on myself under and being like why haven't you risen to this occasion in this way and why have you been weak in that moment and why have you done that and blah, blah blah and I think now it's like when you get to a certain point where there's going to be I mean there's also like the argument to say that like for large parts of our career the conversation of mental health just wasn't happening mm. so like and and now like it's great it's crazy some of the conversations that I have not only with the other lads in the in the band, but the conversations that I feel comfortable having with my peers or people I work with that, that before would have maybe been mistaken as oh, he's just in a shit mood and he's just trying to be difficult, you know, versus and vice versa. So now I recognise like, hey, before you jump on the bandwagon of this person just, you know, deliberately being difficult and a bit of a dick maybe there, there's something else going on and maybe you should explore that before you um before you try and take it on you know so um yeah I just think that and also again I think going back to a conversation we we're having earlier on about what this year is presented it's presented an opportunity for people to do a bit of growing up I think and growing up in a in, in the sense that you know there's one planet there's several different species but like in the in terms of the human race like we all we all have responsibility to be better towards one another like we really need to take on board the fact that what a hit this has been for everybody you know like nobody has ex- maybe except for the very 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 rich um no one's gone unscathed in this situation you know um and it's about just like sort of nurturing people and looking after one another a bit better and and having a desire to be a bit more compassionate. Like I thought I was a pretty um, <clears throat> compassionate person anyway, but this situation has definitely made me think more about just what I want to do with my time and, and how I, I've sort of interact with others within that, in that time. So, yeah, I think the, the, the last 15 years, that would be the lesson I've learned the most is that like, you know, I've, I think I've I've learned how to understand myself, but also people a bit better, and and that it's how to measure expectations of not only myself but others as well.
0: Josh, it's been so good to chat, man. It's you've you've said so many things that I've I like, thought fuck yeah, that makes me really inspired, man. Thank you so much for for being up for coming on here.
1: Of course, brother. Thanks for your time, man. I really enjoyed speaking with you. So um yeah,
0: wicked. You sound like you're in such a good place.
1: I think so, man. I think considering um. But yeah, dude, again, it goes back to that thing of like been just really, you know, I've been journaling, journaling a lot during this time, um, write a lot of music, doing a lot of walking. And again, like I would say that, you know, trying to preserve your physical fitness does ultimately go towards your mental fitness as well. Um, there's so much connected between those two things. And I think that you don't need to be going out and running 20 miles to feel good. You know, you can just walking around your park two or three times can still give you that, just that little bit more. Um, which is why when you said uh, from the jump and during this conversation, you, you know, you just gone for a run, like just keep out that man. Like, cause it's so good for your your spirit and your mind to sort of um, to take on, let's be honest right now, everything feels a bit monotonous, doesn't it? And it feels a bit like groundhog day. So we've got to find ways of just giving ourselves that, that bit more of an edge to get through the day. So yeah sending you all the sending you all the love mate and I hope that this is a great a great podcast and see I feel like it's just something that people are really going to resonate with so I think it's classy you're doing it
0: thanks so much dude just to end with have you got any um suggestions any recommendations of podcasts or books you're into right now
1: yeah so I'm re- oh, what is it called man um I'm reading this book ironically which is about the music industry um oh oh it's it's um, oh, i can't why has it just left my brain i want to say it's called um you know you know the matey boy from about a boy you then did the film version of it
0: yeah um nick hornby
1: yeah um oh,
0: it's all those songs those that it's like the 55 songs by nick hornby
1: no not that never mind um i'm, I'm gonna google it i think it's oh, oh no kill kill all your friends or kill all, oh, all right your friends, like that. it's basically it's a, a story about um working in the music industry in the 90s and um this A&R guy like I mean it's 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 debauchery throughout basically and it but it is like a bit of um a screenshot of what it was like I think when I spoke to people that were in the music industry in the 90s um but yeah it's a it's a interesting thing And, and for podcasts I would go um my friend uh Chris Stark and Peter Crouch um uh, the Peter Crouch podcast, which I've always enjoyed, because again, if you're a football fan, it's Pete has got a lot of um a lot of insightful anecdotes of what it's been like, you know, playing at the very top and really funny stories. So I always, I, I went on holiday, I think, a few years ago, and I listened to like the first three series on my on that holiday, just sitting by wow. the pool, just pissed myself. So
0: he's a funny fucker, isn't he, Peter Crouch? He
1: is, man. He's a top guy as well. We we did crouch Fest a lot, not last time, the summer before when they launched it brilliant and we've had a uh, like yeah it's a really good night and i think again that, that is it, it there's not there's nothing premeditated about that in the same way that i sense that from what you're doing as well like it is just about opening up the conversation and just people coming on and and just uh yeah just hopefully giving out relatable stuff you
0: know josh thank you so much man i really appreciate it
1: appreciate your time too man take care
0: so that was Josh from Yumi at Six on 101 Part-Time Jobs. You may think I'm bored of what I'm about to say, but trust me, I'm not. If you like this podcast, go ahead and tell people. Put it in your WhatsApp group, share the link. It's in iTunes or wherever you're listening to it. Send it to your mates, send it to your family. Put it anywhere where you think people might be interested in these kinds of stories. I love getting stories out of people and I love sharing them with the world. So let's keep on doing it. Cheers. I've been working all day for right back. This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast.
2: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about.